ESPN LA 710. Welcome to the experience here on ESPN LA 710. I'm Laferne Cusack. Thanks so much for joining me today. We're talking PH Aware with the founder and president of PH Aware's Steve Van Warmer and also advisor to the organization, Dr. Roham Zamanian. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us on, Laferne. Good morning, Laferne. Good morning. And uh, I'm I'm going to just tell everybody, we had a little bit of technical difficulties here today, so I was running around, spilled my coffee, couldn't get the headphones to work. It was like showtime at the Apollo, <laughs> but we got, we managed, and you guys, thank you so much for being so patient with me. So, Oh, awesome. Thanks. I have an awesome pair of headphones now. They're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous. Yeah. So, um, Steve, you've been on our show several times and talking about PH Aware. Tell us about the organization well um, PH aware uh, global association um, is a is a nonprofit um, that is dedicated to raising global awareness uh, for pulmonary hypertension and uh, creating innovative technology for research uh, but uh, I should take a step back just to say that um, and I can even defer to, to dr. Uh, dr. Zamani about uh, the definition of pulmonary hypertension so we can give a a, a, a medical perspective uh, maybe you could help me with that Roham Sure, of course, Steve. Pulmonary hypertension is a condition where high blood pressure develops in the lungs. It's a little bit different than the hypertension that we think of where you measure your blood pressure in your arm, and that's called systemic hypertension. Pulmonary hypertension is um, happens, um, it's a very rare disease, 5 to 20 per million, um, and it's a disease that when the high blood pressure develops in the lungs, eventually, if untreated, leads to right heart failure and death. So it's a, it's a very important disease to diagnose. And, and the reason we've been on um, your show a number of times, and I'm very grateful for that, Laverne, is that, you know, it's a rare disease, and uh, typically we've been here uh, in November, and November is Pulmonary Hypertension Awareness Month. So, um, so anyways, about our organization, PH Aware, um, it was founded by um, a number of uh, uh, pulmonary hypertension community members who are trying to give a different spin to a nonprofit um, mm-hmm. uh, and and make it uh, you know we pe- people that have uh, brought their kind of for profit expertise into this arena and by that um, uh, I mean our founders uh, one one gentleman John Hess is uh, from a technology background um, works in a- mobile applications and uh, high end tech his son Ian uh, was diagnosed with pulmonary hypertension when he was five he's now seventeen and uh, last January he had a double lung transplant. It was very, wow. very, very intense. Uh, that's kind of an end stage uh, situation for patients. And uh, he, um, it, w- it was a very hard surgery, but he rebounded and is doing wonderfully now. Oh, that's great. Um, it's- an- Another one of our co-founders, Marie Rand, she is a mom who, ha- uh, a, a single mom who has uh, four kids. She uh, tragically lost a daughter to this disease many, many years ago, back in the early 90s when there were no medical um, treatments for this disease. And now there's 14. Uh, uh, another a co-founder, Harry uh, Rosakis, had uh, a f- the one form of pulmonary hypertension that uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Roham can speak about uh, 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 called CTEF. It's the one form that's uh, curable. 
where they basically go in and uh, take out blood clots in your in the in the thousands of branches of arteries in your lungs. Oh. And then myself, uh, I have a son, Lucas, who you've met uh, and been on yes. the show a number of times. What's up, Lucas? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what's up? He was out partying last night, so he's now sixteen. Oh, will be sixteen rather in wow. January, and he was diagnosed at age four. And uh, so he is uh, he's the patient in our family who is um, who uh, actually um, November is this November uh, is uh, the eleventh anniversary of his diagnosis, and he eleven years later is doing fantastic on oral meds and is a very robust responder. And as such, um, because he's reacted so well to to the to the therapies that are available, that it gives me personally the empowerment to. Uh, to uh, go and work and speak for uh, patients who aren't doing as well, actually. Yeah, and Dr. Roham, you you um, you know you talk about like athletes. There are a lot of athletes that have blood clots, and talk about why it's so uh, rare to spot, or sometimes it's the zebra in uh, a diagnosis. Yeah, absolutely, Lafern. You know. Um the, the trouble with pulmonary hypertension, uh, because it's a rare condition and some forms of it are, are less rare uh, than others, is, is because of uh, the fact that the symptoms are not very specific. So most of the time, um, either athletes or young women present with um, shortness of breath and they're given the diagnosis of asthma. Uh, but they actually don't have any wheezing, and it's a misdiagnosis. Um, and not to blame the physicians in the community, it's just that it's such a rare disease, and asthma is so much more common um, that uh, they're misdiagnosed. Um, at the patients who are misdiagnosed don't typically feel better with the treatments they receive for asthma, or sometimes even young women are given the label of, oh, you're just anxious, there's nothing wrong with you. So, um, you know, there are no specific symptoms that point to pulmonary hypertension. Shortness of breath, fatigue, swelling in the lower extremities, palpitations, these are the symptoms of the disease, but they can happen with also much more common diseases like asthma uh, or um, other conditions. And when a, a child or a person is diagnosed with this disease, what is the protocol? Yeah, that's a really great question. So um, the initial test that's performed is called an echocardiogram. It's basically an ultrasound of the heart to show that the heart is affected by high blood pressure. Uh, once we can show that, then we begin to look into multiple different causes. Uh, autoimmune diseases such as lupus and scleroderma. We look for congenital heart diseases. We look for uh, diseases like HIV or hepatitis that can lead to this condition. And then ultimately, when we've done all these tests and we look in the lungs to make sure there's no lung fibrosis or actually no asthma, uh, then we get to the diagnostic test. And that's called the right heart catheterization. That's where me and my colleagues go through the neck or the groin, uh, send a catheter to the heart and the lungs, and measure the actual pressures. And the point here is is that echocardiograms are done and they're very easy to do, but the diagnosis should absolutely be based on this procedure called the right heart catheterization. That protocol usually takes about one or two visits for us to complete, but when it's complete, then we can begin to give the patient some um, idea of the findings and the severity of the disease. Wow. Wow. That's intense. Um, 
Steve, what did your son have to go through? Uh, he was very lucky. We were very lucky as, uh, relatively speaking, he was misdiagnosed with asthma and had an inhaler and, um, uh, as Dr. Uh, uh, Roham suggested. And, but that was about a nine month period. And um, so he was just kind of, uh, you know, on a downward spiral from, say, January of uh, what this would have been 2006 to uh, uh, to uh, to November. Mm -hmm. And he just was like really just declining quickly. And so how he got diagnosed was by fluke. He just was feeling a little under the weather. Uh, we stayed home one day. His um, He went to a pediatrician. The pediatrician he had at the time uh, really wasn't a fan of x-rays. It was a it was a substitute uh, pediatrician. She's like, oh, let's take a chest x-ray and make sure he doesn't have pneumonia or something. And and because they took a, a shot of his um, his midsection, they, they're like, mm, this his heart looks slightly enlarged. The right side of his oh, heart looks slightly God. enlarged. So that was by total fluke. And they said, oh, let's maybe... I'll refer you to this cardiologist who we went to see, and through a series of the tests that uh, that uh, Roham suggested, you know, the ultrasound, the EKG, and ultimately uh, getting a uh, a right heart cath when uh, confirms his diagnosis. So, uh, yeah, that was <laughs> that was it was so. But you know, what most patients, and 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 you can correct me if I'm wrong on the on the dates, uh, uh, Roham, is that. Uh, it takes about two and a half or or more years to get that diagnosis, and as those patients are progressing, that's why um, kind of the work that uh, you know Stanford and Dr. Roham does, the work that we're doing at PH Aware to really uh, to educate and to uh, to get uh, early diagnosis uh, information out there, right. hopefully closes that gap. And you mentioned Stanford, uh, Dr. Zamani, and can you talk about? that what you do at Stanford and some of the clinical trials that you're you may be doing oh yeah absolutely um, you know uh, we're very proud uh, to uh, be able to have the capacity to do the work that we do here at Stanford uh, at Stanford we're under the umbrella of an organization called the Vera Moulton Wall Center for Pulmonary Vascular Disease and under that Institute there is an adult pulmonary hypertension program and also a pediatric pulmonary hypertension program. So basically our mission is uh, threefold, excellence in care, education of physicians, and uh, excellence in uh, uh, completing, conducting cutting-edge clinical research. So uh, when patients come to us and when we diagnose them, we have a conversation. We say to them that we're a university academic program um, and we have the responsibility to conduct research. And, you know, respectfully, the patients are going through a really tough time, but in fact, they also have a responsibility to be participating in developing data for future generations. I tell my patients that they're receiving therapies based on investigations that prior patients participated in. So that, I think, resonates with my patients. It certainly is a mission of ours. So we collect blood samples from these patients and we store them for studies. We develop um, and collect their clinical information and have published a number of studies based on these long-term clinical data that we have. And then we also conduct uh, clinical trials, both for our industry partners in the pharmaceutical field, but 
most of our focus has recently been developing therapies at our bench and bringing them out into uh, the world. So we're very, very proud, actually, that we have two drugs that we've developed at Stanford that are being currently tested um, in patients in clinical trials and hopefully a third one coming out. So, you know, that's that's our main core mission, and we can come back to the clinical trials. The other thing is, um, as a rare disease, uh, there are only a number of institutes around the country and around the world that can train physicians in this condition. Um, and we have one of the longest, if not the longest standing fellowship in, in pulmonary hypertension called the eBay Pulmonary Vascular Fellowship. And we've graduated 17 fellows from uh-huh. that program, but they've gone to other institutions and taken leading, leading roles. So, so we're very fortunate and, and we feel like, uh, we have to, uh, help uh, spread the message and, and work with our colleagues like uh, Steve and the PH Aware uh, group um, and others to really educate um, both patients and, and clinicians uh, about this disease. And Steve, that's what you and PH Aware are doing. I know that, you know, with your website, you engage for a cure. Talk about some of that, of what you guys do. Well, you know, again, I give props to you because dating way back, uh, we've done a number of radio um, um, interviews together uh, at, at, with ESPN LA and, and others. And and that really, uh, you know, was the kind of the genesis for me to to start a podcast series that, that we uh, started last year, a year, like a year ago, right before Awareness Month last year. Yeah. And... Um, um, basically, over the course of the last year plus, uh, myself and colleagues have traveled all around the, uh, the United States to various conferences, to uh, hospitals, to uh, to walks like the uh, the Race Against PH walk that actually last week that was at Stanford uh, uh, campus university uh, and and others and um, and created this podcast series and it was more of a uh, it's been kind of cathartic for me honestly yeah. just to say is but. And and maybe and 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 uh, that uh, we're talking to to patients, to caregivers, to thought leaders, to doctors, to researchers, to basically, you know, kind of drill down to all the aspects of uh, of of this disease, mm-hmm. and uh, and not just not just pulmonary hypertension, but all the related diseases uh, that uh, Doctor uh, mentioned, like scleroderma and sickle cell and uh, CTEF, et cetera, and 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 what it's turned out to be is this we've done two podcasts uh, a week uh, uh, for the last year it's 125 plus episodes but more more astonishingly for me is like when you run the when the numbers and the metrics come in yeah. as you see is that it's been downloaded in you know 24 you know thousand times uh, but in 95 countries and yeah. so so what what that signals to me is that when people in Algeria and Bosnia and Serbia has these big surges and it's you know and there are um, organizations uh, sister organizations uh, you know across the the world that that have these patient populations but unlike the US where we have four therapies they might have none or they might have two or they might have very limited access so um, so anyhow we created this podcast series it's called uh you know, I'm aware that I'm rare. The PH Aware podcast, and you can get it on iTunes and uh, and Google Play Music, um, uh, iHeartRadio, and actually, actually, just last week, uh, <laughs> Spotify out of the blue calls and says, "Hey, we'd like to pick up your show." Awesome. So, it's, so it's like, so it's it's being able to reach people yeah. um, it quickly uh, to hopefully again is one method of curbing that uh, that misdiagnosis is is really the goal and and. 
and I'll ask you as a as a as a host that you you've done dozens of episodes yourself, and do don't you feel blessed that you're you're getting educated in all these different areas? Absolutely, you know, and it's yeah. like you're learning all this stuff, and so so I've done many interviews with uh, with Roham about various things from clinical trials to PTE surgery to awareness or whatever you know it may be, and it's just you're getting a front row seat to all this great information. Yeah, and one thing that was brought to my intent, attention was growing meth use and the relation to pulmonary hypertension. Dr. Tuzmanian, can you talk about that? <laughs> You're going to get me on my soapbox now. <laughs> All right. Um, soapbox. Yay. <laughs> you, you know, you know, Laferna, you, you might know that um, the national focus is right now on the opioid epidemic, but um, what is astonishing and what's happened in the certainly the west coast of the United States has been this growing uh, meth epidemic uh, uh, in the west coast here we had um, a very high peak of use in 2006 and then there was a number of uh, 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 initiatives by the Department of Justice to curb that and and that as those came in the rates went down but now we're sort of seeing a resurgence of, of methamphetamine you, you know for the mm-hmm. listeners who who may know methamphetamine is a stimulant is also known as ice it's got many different names it's a it's a global uh a globally abused stimulant uh some indications by the UN uh drug report indicate that it's now uh second most common behind cannabis uh of illicit substances that are abused and um uh, even beyond uh cocaine the problem with methamphetamine is that it appears to, and we're beginning to show this, we just published a paper about this, uh, it's, uh, that is uh, associated or actually it increases the susceptibility to develop pulmonary hypertension. Now that's, uh, uh, you know, unlike the opioid uh, crisis where you have a high morbidity and mortality from short periods of use, methamphetamine can be used chronically, um, and it's a stimulant. It gets people excited and euphoric and engaged, and what's very interesting to me is a number of professional athletes have, have um, reported using it in the past, and it's part of the doping um, uh, tests that, that yeah. do, do occur. Uh, I was reading Andre Agassi's book uh, a couple of years ago, and you know that that's a revelation where he mentions that he used um, methamphetamine recreationally and uh, and the effect it had on on him. Um, but you know, I think that uh, uh, we're we're very concerned not only with the illicit abuse of methamphetamine, but I interview kids in high school these days who share. Uh, medications. One of them is Ritalin, which is actually a prescription-based amphetamine, um, and and we're concerned about that uh, as well. The main concern that we have is our data is showing that patients who come in with pulmonary hypertension associated with methamphetamine have worse uh, outcomes, even when we treat them, uh, whether it's because of their methamphetamine use or whether it's because uh, they're uh, continuing to get high and uh, practice uh, behaviors that are not uh, medically appropriate. We don't know, but we're very concerned about it, and I think this is something that affects uh, really every community, and certainly can potentially affect um, uh, athletes for sure. So let me ask you this: So if methamphetamine is causes uh, pulmonary hypertension, is there a way you can 
linked that to help uh, to people getting pH, um, like because we don't know why people get pH, right? We don't correct. Know. That's really that's correct. That's correct. Methamphetamine has a lot of health consequences, and pH may be one of the more rare ones. Uh, me and my colleague, uh, Dr. Vinicio de Jesus Perez, have looked at the blood samples of patients who report uh, methamphetamine use and get pH and compare them to patients who don't have methamphetamine use and get pH. And what we find is there may be genes that are mutated in those patients that gives them the susceptibility. Mm. So I think that's what you were asking. Yes. We think that probably... Uh, not everyone who uses meth is going to get pH. Um, they may get other consequences of it that are more common. There are cardiac toxicities. Um, people talk about meth teeth. I don't know if you've seen them. It's just this really bad cavities that you get. In, you yeah. get meth brain because uh, chronic use leads to brain atrophy. So there's a lot of other medical consequences, but we think that we're beginning to identify the genetic susceptibility profile of patients who who use meth and, and get pH and that may be the future of medicine, really, really affirm, you know, companies that look, do uh, report to even uh, patients, their mm-hmm. genetic profile, 23andMe, and there's a multiple of these companies that you could send in your uh, saliva and they'll give you your DNA profile. Uh, that's sort of the beginning of what we call the precision medicine um, revolution. Some people think that, that we're maybe a little bit too quick to rely on that yet. All the work needs to be done. The scientific uh, studies need to be conducted in a much more thorough fashion. But, you know, that's the inkling of it. We think that there is a susceptibility that when you get this injury from methamphetamine abuse, then then, then um, it develops. I see. S- Steve, from what you have seen along the way, how has it changed over, like, the the awareness well, or i think that um you know the uh, when lucas was diagnosed 11 years ago um they there was only um eight drugs i think at the, at the time uh none of which were approved for children uh any usage is off label um at the time this was now 10 plus years ago that uh the doctors of the community said it's basically one person per million i believe at the beginning of the of the of the show uh roham you said it's now like potentially five per million or 20 per million wow. and, and is that uh, let me ask you is that because more awareness or you're you're re- or you're finding it's related more to other related diseases um how, how is that number skewed um you know steve that's a really great question i i think that because it's a rare disease and this is a one of the issues that we have in this condition, it's very difficult to do large population studies yeah. and say, oh, we know exactly the rates. Um, the, in, the incident rate is 5 to 15 or 20 per million for idiopathic pulmonary hypertension because that's what has been reported. And the reason that there's some variability in that is because pe- people have studied this in... Um, uh, in the United States, people have studied it in um, uh, Europe, in the UK, and there are different populations. They may have different genetics and different propensity for developing the disease. But, you know, there are secondary causes, as, as Steve has mentioned. Um, it's estimated that um, 
up to about 30% of patients with scleroderma, which is an autoimmune disease, have pulmonary hypertension. Um, it's estimated that about half a percent of all patients with HIV have pulmonary hypertension, sickle cell disease. Uh, patients develop pulmonary hypertension. Kids who are now living longer with congenital heart disease, especially the larger um, uh, congenital heart diseases as ventricular septal defects. These are the holes in the heart can develop pulmonary hypertension and they should be uh, screened for it. So, um, you, you know, I think when we think about the pure form, the primary form is that five to 20 per million. Those may, those may be different um, in these other secondary um, causes. And then, you know, I don't want to get too technical, but people who have emphysema and heart disease and valvular heart diseases and uh, end-stage kidney diseases, those patients are at risk also. Those are, those are officially called uh, secondary forms, not associated forms. Oh. Uh, and those secondary forms um, are much more common in the world, and probably pulmonary hypertension is going to be more common in those groups as well. So it's... It, um, I think what has happened, just to bring it back to education, what has happened is I think physicians, subspecialty physicians are beginning to understand, to look for it. And I think where we still need to work is to spread the message to primary care physicians, family physicians, and internists um, who are out there every day with every patient to think about uh about this disease, and I agree with you, Steve. We we still see a year and a half to two years from the uh, symptom onset to the time that the patients are referred to our center wow. for um, potential diagnosis of pulmonary hypertension, and that, for us, as you know, is unacceptable. We want to get to patients much quicker than that. And, and I agree. And, and and to your point, your question rather, Laferne, about how it's changed, and you know with digital technology and this just the way we can communicate mm-hmm. and the and uh, I said at the top of the hour how we were how we ca- this organization came together with various experts in the field I know you through um, through my work in creative advertising and promotion and, and all that and so very early on for me um, I'm not a, my superpowers is not <laughs> expert in lung transplant or research and people that are doing uh, raising all this money on a walk or something like this, and all the elements and all the people of this community are so important. What uh, I could, what I uh, do and have and have you know done is uh, work with a great team of creative people and um, you know make uh, make PSAs. instruments and PSAs yeah. and, and and web uh, you know a podcast series or make information and distill it down very clearly in messaging and yeah. and, and try to really get that point across and. To to that end, not just um, for a patient or a, or a caregiver or a parent about, oh, this is happening, but what we're working on here at PHAware is also educating the doctors. Like uh, Dr. Zamanian said, um, we do have a website um, that uh, is called um, phawaremd.global, and that's intent, uh, intention is just to reach out and capture pulmonologists, cardiologists, ER, um, uh, nurse practitioners, frontline people, like he mentioned. Um, we have one called phaware365.global which is more 
geared towards the general population. So if they are experiencing the asthma or shortness of breath, et cetera, that they can find and get some top line information about uh, pH and be captured and brought into the circle. Because I think there's such a misdiagnosis. There's, there's a lot of great organizations that are working uh, once someone's captured, mm-hmm. you know. And so what we really strive to do is to reach out to the, to the outside those circles and pull people in, whether that be through um, making partnerships with the people in an airline. In 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 airline uh, where um, uh, in, air, in like in, a, in Air Canada, for example, has ads in all their uh, all their flight in flight magazines. We've made um, uh, we've met up with uh, um, uh, Galaxy Theater chain, which has a hundred theaters in all these different states and IMAX screens that put it in pre show entertainment. And a lot of these are in uh, rural areas mm-hmm. that where somebody might not be at a big center like Stanford or UCLA or what whatnot. So finding um, ways and pockets and screens and all you know, wild ways of of, of capturing people or right. finding people and discovering people is really the goal. Yeah, and I think. Do we lose Doctor Z? I'm here. Oh, I'm sorry. I sounded for a second like you hung up. I thought you were so disgusted with what I said. <laughs> Me too. I can't have this anymore. I I'm hanging out. He's like, I don't believe this guy. I was, was like, just <laughs> hang up. But uh, you know, all, and and but more. Uh, let me. One other thing that we're doing, and I that I, I do want to mention that uh, uh, the, uh, that uh, Dr. Zamani and myself, are, um, and and other doctors are doing all month long, uh, is it is a new live stream service. Uh, we're um, project uh, called On the Air with PH Aware, and it's basically. Uh, kind of like Facebook Live, but through the platform of live streaming, that we're having global Q&As like every Tuesday in November uh, at 1.15 p.m. Pacific, uh, which is, you know, 4.15 p.m. Uh, Eastern. And uh, this Tuesday, uh, we'll be on, you know, we'll take live questions, from, you know, globally uh, from patients all in, in the caregivers all around the world. And then on the 21st, uh, Dr. Tapson here in uh, Cedars in Los Angeles, who's uh, uh, been a guest before. Uh, and then on the 28th, uh, Tuesday the 28th, is Dr. Peter Leary from the University of Washington. So we're really hoping that these doctors are, you know, basically are graciously are flagging That's any so questions cool. that are yeah. coming out and to hopefully get people to, uh, if they feel like something's wrong, they've got a seed that they think, uh, you know, stuff they want to know. These guys can share uh, their expert advice. Dr. Zamani, and does, what's the most questions that you get uh, usually about uh, pulmonary hypertension? Like when someone comes to you, what do you, they often say or ask? Well, you, you know, it's it's really hard. Um, what they often want to know is what this means to them, um, and um, y- you know, as 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 you've already heard, the majority of the patients who present this disease affects women predominantly, uh, and women of childbearing age. So, you know, I'm having very um, sensitive conversations with uh, new mothers and. Um, uh, women who who want who want to have children and and they want to know about how long do they have and they want to know about how is this going to affect their family um, and and those are very very difficult difficult um, questions uh, to, to answer um, you, you know I, I ended up in the field primarily because of an experience that I had in residency and um, uh, I grew up in Southern California in Orange County in Irvine. Um, shout out to my OC friends, uh, <laughs> all my homies. Uh, and, you know, when I was a resident, I 
um, I had a very young mother who actually was a meth user who came into the ICU uh, pregnant. Um, and for anyone who knows this disease, they know that it's pregnancy is, a, is nearly a death sentence for, for these patients. And, you know, uh, something, you, you, something was on the star. The stars were aligned, and, and somehow she, she delivered the baby in the ICU. Those were the early days where we only had one single infusion medication, and she survived, and she was uh, very grateful. So that made a big impression on me. And so every time I see my patients who say, I've been diagnosed with pulmonary hypertension, I hear that my five-year survival uh, is only 30%, so mm. 70% chance that I'll die in five years if you, if I don't get any therapy. I say, you know, you're young and you have a, uh, your body will be strong, and, and, and we have now, as Steve mentioned, uh, more than uh, 12 therapies uh, to, to help you get through the tough part and, and make sure that you have... Um, you have a long life ahead. But, you know, that's the most difficult, Laferne, telling them that despite these therapies, we don't have a cure for this condition. Uh, and often uh, we use experimental therapies um, uh, as compassionate. I, I shouldn't say often. We, we, we do it when it's appropriate. But um, as, as Steve alluded to earlier, heart and lung transplantation is the, uh, the final sort of surgical um, uh, treatment for these patients, um, uh, 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 but not all of them are lucky enough to, to receive uh, lung transplantation. So, you know, I think that that's the most difficult conversation. That's the uh, number one question that patients ask me, um, how, what's, what's, what's my life expectancy and what can I, um, you know, what, what can I anticipate? And, and um, uh, from, from there, we have different conversations about uh, how they can treat themselves and how they can contribute to uh, to medical knowledge. You know, if I you were mentioned transplant again, I just to tell you a, a a very quick anecdote of how amazing this community is. And I, I was home last night, and we came home last night, and my phone's dinging. I leave my phone on all the time so I can tweet and share and do all this <laughs> kind of stuff. And, and I'm getting there, there. There's a woman. Um, She's uh, actually in ICU right now at Cedar Sinai, waiting. She's been there for a month or so, uh, trying to put on some pounds because she's waiting for a lung transplant herself. She's very sick, uh, yet she's on a chain. Uh, she's a support group leader of a, of a big Los Angeles area uh, support group. And she's just texting him like, oh, here's all the plans for the holiday party for the support group. And, you know, we're going to do this. We need this. We need blah, 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 blah. You know, and it's just it's just a moment like that is just, mm -hmm. you know, I'm texting her back and, and everything. And people, the, the, the relationships with the caregivers and the, the, the patients, uh, doctors uh, like Roham, you know, um, it, you know, even my partners who uh, who've. One has went through the other side of a transplant and, in, in essence, cured of pH, has another situation with uh, post-transplant. Uh, a mom who uh, who lost her daughter and, and, a, and a gentleman who uh, is cured of the disease. You know, they, those guys are, are ultimately, uh, you could argue, that they are no longer in that arena, but they continue to uh, 
to uh, forge ahead and, yeah. and help for patients. Myself, you know, like I said, I have a son again who's doing great and has been a great responder that uh, empowers me to uh, to keep doing what we're all doing collectively. Yeah, and that's great. And Dr. Roham, I, I know that you have to leave in a few minutes, but uh, I just want to ask you if you could provide any type of of um, support or uh, how if someone is newly diagnosed with pulmonary hypertension, what would you say to them and their family? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's very, very important for newly diagnosed patients to get to the right um, uh, centers. Um, there are now, uh, there's now an accreditation uh, process through the Pulmonary Hypertension Association um, that has, um, accreditation linked to centers all around the United States. In California, there are many. Um, uh, San Diego and the LA area and Santa Barbara and the Central Valley and in Northern California. So I would say that the patients really need to um, uh, get uh, help getting into um, what we call a center of um, excellence or comprehensive um, care. Um, you know, the second thing I could tell patients is um, it's really easy. Boy, I do this myself to Google everything these days or whatever search engine that you use. Um, they're only going to find uh, very unchecked uh, and non-peer-reviewed uh, literature if they just Google and, and try to find things that may be outdated or no longer relevant. So. You know, the second thing I would tell newly diagnosed patients who are very anxious, of course, to learn about their condition is to, you know, reach out to the to the advocacy groups such as PH Aware, the Pulmonary Hypertension Association. Those organizations both have a very large footprint on the net and um, in other uh, content as well. And and you know, really li- read um, patient designed. Um, uh, and and patient focused uh, literature uh, to educate themselves. I, I there are many times I have patients who come in who either a don't know why they're at my office or uh, they're so hysterical and beside themselves because they they think that you know they might as well go into. Um, uh, sort of a situation where th- there is no treatment and 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 really not missing uh, not missing not informed very well. So uh, we as physicians are there to do everything else. They just uh, um, hopefully through programs like this, through your generosity and the work of the PH Aware, patients will learn about the existence of these centers and and how to go about getting there. But before I meet those patients, that's what they need to do. And after I meet them, then, you know, most of these centers um, have a variety of support mechanisms. The reason that there's uh, accreditation now is because uh, there are societies now that hold us responsible to have medical directors like myself that are highly educated and published in the field. Uh, We have medical social workers that help patients with the psychosocial aspect of this and also the financial aspect of the diagnosis. Uh, we have a lot of nurse coordinators and nurses and uh, psychiatrists and basically uh, most of these centers have a sort of a multidisciplinary team to take care of them. So 
we like to see those patients as soon as possible and, and hope to really be helpful to them. And, and that's what I would say to the patients. Get yourself to us and educate from the right sources. And that, and that's one thing, uh, in addition to all that, which is all true, is um, what, what I'm what we're trying to do with this podcast series, uh, the I'm, uh, I'm Aware That I'm Aware, the PH Aware podcast, because it's really, you know, not just patient stories. This is what happened in my transplant. This doctor, this is what is going to happen in a PTE surgery. This is why clinical trials are important. This is how uh, scleroderma affects uh, patients, with, you know, how it mm-hmm. can lead to PH. So we're, uh, we're really trying to expand topics and and let yeah. people reach out and, and, and hear from long-term survivors, stuff that's geared toward newly diagnosed. So we're really, you know, and I'm and, and by the way, anyone, if you are uh, touched with this disease or an expert in this area, um, I highly, I would love it uh, if you would reach out to us uh, um, at, you know, in the podcast, uh, direct link is um, phawarepodcast.libson.com l i b s y n dot com and through there uh you can you can even just write and share your story and reach out to us and that's that's how we're finding people across uh across the country as well and dr roham you also uh you're, you're associate professor pulmonary and critical care medicine at stanford how can people get in touch with you or read your articles on methamphetamine abuse and <laughs> pulmonary hypertension uh, they they can Google me now. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. self-absorbed, isn't it? They, no, they can, they can, it's true. They can <laughs> they can go ahead and visit our website, um, Wall Center, uh, one word, W A L L Center Edu. They could also go through Stanford.edu and look at. Um, there's a search engine on our website and and look for either my name, last name is Z A M A N I A N, or the Wall Center and they'll find um, the entire team. We have both educational and um, research um, uh, information on our website. Um, we also have a presence. I, I'm, I think, Doc Roham on Twitter and um, Wall Center on Twitter as, as well. So we have, we have some social media presence. You know, if patients are interested, our literature can be found. Um, uh, this is very specific, but some patients like to be very specific. There is a website called PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D dot com, um, and they can type in last name and the first initial and and look up uh, or look up terms and and find any research articles. Uh, And the last thing is, is as we're talking about empowering patients, um, the the, uh, Congress passed a bill several years ago and created a website called clinicaltrials.gov. That's one word. Um, and and uh, on clinicaltrials.gov, there's a search bar that they can look for pulmonary hypertension and find all pulmonary hypertension clinical trials, oh, okay. some of which we're participating and some of which we're leading in. Um, and um, they'll find actually the local centers or the universities that are conducting those. So there's a number of ways for patients to... Uh, uh, read up on uh, uh, and get information about pulmonary hypertension in our publications, but uh, if they want to uh, see my beautiful face, they can look through Stanford and the Wall Center. <laughs> awesome. Dr. <laughs> Roham Zamani, and thank you so much for sharing your expertise for pulmonary hypertension. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Lafern. Thanks for having me. All right. So... 
Steve. Yes. Okay, let's move on to what the actionable items that you do. You talk about you do the walk. Oh, well, well, we were a participant in the walk that Stanford did. So, as I was saying, we just travel around. I've, you know, our members of our uh, organization travel around to various um, to various sites, events, uh, um, support groups, and you know, just to to uh, be as a part of the community to to offer um, mm-hmm. um, a presence and, and, and education. And so, um, you know, one one. Um, other aspect that we're we're working towards for um, for 2018 is because this is the time we're kind of gearing on what where where do we go next? Yes. You know, is 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 to work on uh, ways to support support groups. Uh, I mentioned this woman who is in. Um, Cedar. In the hospital, yes. uh, you know, runs one of the largest what, support groups in the country. Right. What a great amount of strength she's in there waiting for a transplant yeah. and organizing. Yeah, yeah, it's you know, it, it's it's amazing. There's another woman, um, a family that, and this this really is encapsulates the whole disease for me. Um, there's a woman who uh, I met. Right after my son was diagnosed, and um, she has her family had a form of genetically, uh, it's called familial pulmonary hypertension, where um, just it runs in the family. Uh, And so, this uh, retired school teacher um, basically had four children, and uh, this was like twenty years ago when there was no um, when there was no uh, therapies. She, this young two year old son, uh, developed pH and. Ultimately, there was no therapies. Very shortly thereafter, that that baby died. Uh, many years later, um, a handful of years later, uh, when her other another child was in uh, college, developed this disease, ultimately passed away. That's when they figured out something's going on, and then they found out the husband, her husband, had this gene as well. He ultimately uh, passed oh away, goodness. and so the the other two remaining children uh, and this woman who uh, lives in the OC, um, they've done a lot of great work. Uh, mm-hmm. So such such fighters for uh, for um, for uh, clinical trials and all that, and had events and golf tournaments and all that, which which I and, and we have supported through the years, and raised a lot of money for um, um, research. Just a month ago, uh, two months ago, her daughter, who's now in her 40s, I believe, had this gene dormant, that gene activated, and now she's in a fight for her life. Wow. And so it's just the grace and the strength that they have to mm-hmm. continue to move forward, to, to, to work and spread the word and, and, and really um, educate people because they do that. They go around and they, and they you know, they are advocates. Um, for the disease, for us and, and others, and and you know that kind of um that that's just amazing, you know. So I'm very blessed to know them. Yeah. Uh, so for engage for a cure, tell us some of the things that you guys do socially. I know you have hashtag ph aware. Um, yeah, so it's, it's just on you know like a. It, if you really distill it down, we just try to make simple messages and simple tools and engagement uh, apps and, you know, through a podcast, through live streaming, through um, uh, if you go to the app store, you can you can get a basically a global selfie app that lets you take photos on your phone and decorate them with stickers and awareness stickers and all that. Which was interesting about that uh, real quickly is um, in May, it's called World PH Day. May 5th is World PH Day. And there's another organization called PHA Europe, which is an umbrella 
organization for maybe 40 some countries uh, that it's World PH Day unlike Awareness Month here in the US is really big globally in the in Europe and, and other nations um, they had events all over like 80 events on that day and we worked with them to, to, to disseminate this app and all that and so it, it gives us and them and people a presence all over the world mm-hmm. to uh, to to share information to make their social media um, to make their social media like uh, um, their profile pictures yeah. and all that <laughs> stuff so you know just making tools like that and um, so yeah and, and and we're working on a research uh, more importantly I guess I mean we're working uh, with uh, children's uh, hospital in Colorado uh, on a on a mobile research app that uh, is worked is built um, on the uh, on the Apple uh, health kit um, system yeah, so we're working with that. doctors and uh, and uh, and and researchers to basically to um, do six minute let me put it. Let me say it simply: is that for this disease, um, typically your your um, your how you're doing is is monitored by a six minute walk test. You go to the hospital four or five times a year, uh, and you walk up and down a hallway, and they say, "Oh, you walked 500 yards. You walked 400 yards. You're getting better or worse." And that's typically how um, your care is kind of figured out because they can't breathe, because no because or? because they they say how how far you can go before you get exa- tired or oh. when your you know your uh, pulse uh, oxygen level goes down your heart rate mm-hmm. so they're kind of looking at through these analytics uh, and seeing okay you've walked further than last time and less than this time and we're we transform that to, or are working to transform that to, into a mobile device through an Apple Watch, through an iPhone, through an Android, uh, through a Fitbit bracelet uh, to um, to work with the uh, with Children's Colorado people at the FDA to, to to really get a lot of data, qualitative, quantitative data to to make. Um, instead of what a doctor looking at one single patient's graph, they're looking at thousands or mm. you know potentially millions of data points, and so we're we're working with a center like that and others uh, to uh, to really take that into a tech uh, you know that tech to uh, to another le- level. Yeah. Now, from having you on five years ago to <laughs> now, you excuse me. Uh, this has grown so much. I'm so like thrilled to have seen the progression from then to now, you know, because I just remember you talking about it. And then yeah. you're like, hey, how does a let's talk about PSAs. And then you did a whole batch of PSAs and then it went national. And- I just think everything grows on everything. And yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of great, you know, goodness and grace in the world. And so when it started with PSAs and then, you know, you, I put it on, worked with many people to put it on, to build them first yeah. and foremost, then to, to disseminate them across all these different national networks and put them on buildings or to put them in taxi cabs or to, or to translate them in different languages and disseminate, you know, digitally, yeah. like I said, the, the tools have grown. So it's easy to yeah. disseminate. And, you know, and so when you say five years ago, when you make all these PSAs and all these 40 languages and those relationships with those organizations and they've grown themselves. And so it's about, you know, uh, helping people, getting the word out, and just simply radiating a message, and and being very clear and focused, and on 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 that. And there's a lot of great organizations in the space, not just this rare disease space, but in, in this just or yeah. you know everyone everyone has missions and they do different things. We do global awareness, 
and we work on tech, uh, you know, innovative research tech, uh, those two things. And if they don't fall within those that that paradigm, we, we it deters yeah. from that focus. You yeah, know? yeah, definitely. And I think with nonprofit organizations, you definitely have to have a focus because if you're spread out too thin, that. Yeah. doesn't bode well. One, one thing, by the way, that I think was uh, was interesting, and I'm very glad that it happened for Awareness Month and just by, by nature, um, is all these disasters that happened uh, with, the, with Hurricane Harvey and mm-hmm. Irma and, and Maria and Puerto Rico and um, – there was an. I was doing one of my, these podcasts with another with a co-founder of another organization called Team Phenomenal Hope. They are uh, they work in the pulmonary hypertension space. They uh, are basically uh, are in the um, ultra marathon, extreme racing, wow, and and, yeah. and and basically um, are ultra athletes and. Um, and they, you know, really were moved by uh, by what happened, as we all were, uh, in um, the hurricane in Texas, starting with Texas. And they're like, "Oh, let's let's start a patient impact fund for patients that were affected by this. That to you know to help them out to, uh, you, you know, if they their, their car got flooded, their you know their oxygen machine broke, whatever, and it was. And so just hearing that, we jumped on very quickly, mm-hmm. as did another organization called Blue Lips Foundation, as did a couple uh, of the uh, pharmaceutical partners and I just you know I want to say that uh, over the course of the last month and a half or so we were able to um, collectively fund over um, I think 80 different individuals in whether they be in Puerto Rico Texas Florida and beyond that were affected and impacted by this so it wow. was it was very interesting and you know to uh, you know to yeah. be able to do that too and you also uh, attended several different conferences uh, over the past few months <laughs> Uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, where we were at the CTEF conference, um, uh, which just all these, uh, you know, last two days it was in San Diego. Excuse me, I'm going to cough. And C- <laughs> CTEF uh, is a form of, uh, of 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 pulmonary hypertension that is that if that's maybe. I don't want this is not technical like maybe <laughs> I want, less than 4% of, oh. of, of, of patients are, are, are able to uh, th- that have uh, PHF CTEF that and that's a form of like a curable form of pH and so it was like all these great minds and this think tank of all these doctors debating over which is the best methods to go and so and again that's where we we it was interesting because after doing these podcasts for a year you could look around this the room and throw a rock and say, oh, I talked to that person. This guy was great. <laughs> she was wonderful. This nurse, this critical care nurse was amazing. And so it, it's, again, it's just, it. I'm blessed to do that to, to be part of a team that does the work, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, you can follow at phaware365.global. Yep, uh, yeah, phaware365.global if you want to learn about what we're doing. If you have any tie to the medical community, please look at uh, uh, phawaremd.global and ultimately on social media, um, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, etc., just follow us at phaware. Now, did you learn anything new going to all these conferences this year? Uh, like I said, I learned something. I learned something every time I talk to somebody, and you know, and and that started. A decade ago, uh, just as patient to patient, patient, to, you know, uh, you know, caregiver to a doctor is that it seems like every day so it can be the littlest seed of information that you're like, I never knew that. As a case in point, my uh, son uh, uses an oxygen machine at night and he had, uh, you know, some patients are on oxygen 24 hours a day. The point being, um, 
this was a long time ago, but for the first two years or so, we had this oxygen tank, and we had no idea that there's a little thing like called, uh, gosh, I don't even know the name of it, where there's like some basically water goes into it, so it filters through there, so it's not as harsh on the cannula on your nasal cavities, and like no one ever told us that, oh. and then that was like such a difference. It's not a respirator. I'm, I'm I can't. I'm just escaping me uh, what it's what what they call it, but basically it filters, you know, distills the water so you don't get chapped right. nasal cavities and dried out, you know. So, um, like a humidifier. Little thing, yeah, humidifier. That's what it is. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> you can edit that part. Right? <laughs> so, so yeah, the humidifier. But uh, you know, it's it's there's something all the time and every day. And again, with these, even with these, this live stream that we're doing on these on Tuesdays. Uh, Patients are and medical uh, people were ju- are just throwing these questions out and having yeah. them answered. So, but it's you know. like you don't know what you don't know. So I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> <So therefore, laughs> how do you know the questions to ask when you don't even you know know? So it's like. Well, the, I mean that's the thing, and so like if 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 uh, Roham is talking about. For example, uh, on Tuesday, uh, wants to talk about why clinical trials are important. Maybe it's like, what are some of the myths and things he, he could dispel, and uh, and really to um, you know that people misconceptions. Um, Dr. Tapson on the twenty first is going to talk about CTEF and those kind of uh, about pulmonary embolisms and you know things that people would have. And then what's great about on the twenty eighth with Dr. Leary is um, he's like. I'll take any question about anything, but mostly he he really wants to get in what is the most important things every patient should worry about when they go into a visit, you know, so they can stay on track and stay, you know, and stay and optimize in their treatment. Right. And the other thing is, you know, having that power to know exactly what to say, be an advocate for yourself when you go into the doctor's office and, you know, ask the questions that <laughs> that you look don't it's know, very it's right? very hard and, and i'll and I'll, I'll i'll tell you this it's 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 intense it's an intense day-to-day thing and i and i think i said at the beginning of this it was a it was a choice for me that you can either again i'm not the patient but you could be fetal in a corner or you can use your superpowers for good you know and uh so we my son has lost friends i've lost friends and associates uh, from six months to 65 years of age and all points in between. Mm-hmm. And um, and there's so many great people that do so many amazing things, uh, whether you're a transplant doc, whether you are a, a uh, researcher, whether you're an advocate, you know, whether you're just a mother who's got this disease and still taking care of children, you know, so it's um, that everybody has uh, is rare. Everybody has something to offer and everyone has uh, the ability to uh, to uh, to participate. And that's what's beautiful about uh, like a thing like a selfie app or a podcast app or whatever is that you can participate from anywhere, even from a hospital bed. Not that you, not that most people are in a hospital bed, but uh, oh, one, one other fun thing, by the way, uh, Lafern, that just for giggles you know i have uh, my license plate is a custom plate is ph aware <laughs> and so one day i'm like uh hey what if we did 50 states there's 50 plates available in the united states that and then we've got all the dmvs and there's about six or seven different people across the country that have 
the 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 Ohio PH Aware plate oh, cool. or the Utah PH Aware plate or the uh, you know so cool. so uh, if you're listening to this in 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 the 50 <laughs> states there's about 40 some left. Oh wow, that's really neat. <laughs> that's cool. Okay, again, Steve, tell us how we can be engaged for a cure and participate. I would say join us at phaware.global. Follow us on social media at phaware, and specifically in the next few days uh, on Tuesdays this November, check us out at phaware.global slash on air. That's our live streams that are taking place Tuesdays at one fifteen Pacific. All right. Well, thank you so much, founder and president of PH Aware, Stephen Van Warmer. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm Lafern Cusack. This is ESPN LA 710. For more information, please log on to ESPNLA.com and go to the Experience Show page and download podcasts or check me out on Twitter at Lafern Cusack. Thanks again. See you next week. ESPN LA 710.